Morning, church. Morning. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, please. It'll be in Matthew chapter 6, uh, verse 19, in just a few moments. If you're visiting Christ Church, uh, my name's Mark, and I get to be on staff here as one of the ministers. And uh, appreciate you being with us today and want you to just participate in worship uh, as you feel comfortable, because this is all going to be about Jesus, not about us, as uh, we talk about what God's doing uh, with us and through us and, and all around us. Most sermon series that we develop. Uh, are developed behind a, a teaching perspective. We want to open the Word of God and show people what it means, uh, show them the background for it, and give them information. If you've ever taught, like if you're a professional teacher at the college or high school or elementary level, you know the reason we test is to find out if there's a retention. Uh, the reason you give a student information, you give them application of it, show them scenarios, and at the end of it, you try to find out if they can take that information, or information and implement it in their world. And most sermon series are information-based. But to be persuasive, to make a difference, there's three things you're after. Whether you coach, or you instruct in music, or you teach academically, there's three things you're after. You want to get a student to think something, to do something, or to become something. And the more persuasive you are, the, the levels increase. If you can get someone to think, do, and become, you've been persuasive beyond a reason at times, I guess. It's a powerful thing to get people to do, think, or become something. I want you to know that the series that we're starting for the next four weeks is significant to our church because it's a culmination of what we've been teaching since last January through our study through Colossians. As we've looked at the book of Revelation, who God is. As we've looked at the, what First Peter tells us about the early church and what they faced and, and the suffering that they went through for the cause of Christ. And even this last series we did called Corrective Lenses where we tried to show what the world's teaching versus what God has taught clearly in his revelation. This series is called A Return on the Return. And for those of you that have just joined uh, this church family as we've moved on and uh, continue to face our future together, uh, I want to tell you where we've been. About two, two and a half years ago, we began to have a discussion as the leadership of this church because we were growing larger, and we were having more people come in. Uh, we were seeing hundreds of people being baptized. Uh, there was a momentum and an energy, and instead of sitting back thinking that the ultimate goal of our church is to get bigger, we began to ask God, what would you have us do with this? I believe that the reason God gives us such blessing is to be a blessing somewhere else. So we began to pray and think and consider. Last November, we unveiled to our church, uh, to the group of believers that call themselves Christ Church of Orinogo, we began to unveil that we saw some opportunities, and we called the challenge that we were giving our church the return. And many of you were here for that. But I want to remind you and instruct those of you who weren't here what we talked about. The word return has beautiful theology to it. It's the reason we called the challenge the return is because it's like an opal. If you've ever held an opal up to light, when you move the opal around, different colors appear. It's within the beauty of it itself. It's multifaceted, if you will. We began to look at the return and realize the word return has significance. First of all, it's a celebration of our ability to leave a life of sin and return back to our Father who's good. And then we realize that as we do that, we bring gifts to God that we return. Of all the wonderful things God's given us, we return gifts to Him. And the reason we do that is not only so that we return, but so that those we love and care about can return from sin into the presence of their God. And we do all of that until Jesus returns. 
So it's really simple for us to see that there, the word return contains so many components of what we're about. It's about my return. It's about the, gift of, the gifts that I return. It's about you coming to know Jesus and waiting that moment as we celebrated last week when he returns. And when we looked at the purpose of our church, we saw the opportunities that God was giving us in people, in influence, and all that was going on around us, and we realized there's three challenges for our church. The first is to create life is to offer people hope. Our big splash celebration uh, last Sunday night was just an example of that. Just an opportunity to say, you know what God's called you to do. Uh, Will you do that? And to see 15 people come give their lives. And and when I'm done this morning, three more in that window is going to open and three more people are going to be immersed into Jesus. All because God's creating life. And then we talked about developing growth, that it's not just getting people wet in the baptistry as they begin their journey, but it's discipling them, mentoring them, encouraging and training them to to walk the full life with God. And that's why we're here. And then the, the part of this church that is beautiful is the third piece of it, which is impacting generations. This church from its origination, 65 or 60 some years ago, was in created to make a difference in not only this community, but for generations. In the 1980s, this church made a big step of faith, and the leadership stood up and said to the church that we're going to begin to witness to and invite the younger generation to join us in worship, which means we're going to change our worship style. We're going to change the way we do things so that our kids and their grandkids will worship together with their families and be blessed and encouraged. And I think part of the growth of this congregation was the decision they made 30-some years ago. You see, the opportunities that God's given us have a reason. So in the return logo, you'll notice there's a door. After a period of prayer and and many discussions, we came up with some initiatives, some doors that we felt like God wanted us to walk through. And this will explain what this church is going to be about going into the future. And one of the first doors we decided to do was because we had gotten large, just like it is today, there's tough to find seats for a family of four or five in this particular hour. And we began to look at all of our services and said, okay, does God want us to continue to get bigger and bigger and bigger? Or does he want us to begin to send people on mission back to where they've come from? We have a lot of people who drive a good distance to come out here to the farm. And we began to look at places where people could go back into the communities they came from and plant healthy churches places that they could minister to their entire community and not just those that will drive out here with them. So we decided to plan a church, and after praying about it, an opportunity came up in South Joplin. And that, that idea became Hope City Church, which is an incredible story. And can't wait to have an opportunity to have an interview with Cody Walker, the church planner, and have him share a video clip with this church about how you have blessed their work. But that church is running over 425 every week. And I want to be cautious because some of you are going to roll your eyes and go, yep, preacher at the big church talking about numbers. No, I'm talking about people, people. That's 425 stories. That's 425 people who know who Jesus Christ is because of some of the sacrifices you made to put that in place. And if that drives you crazy, we're going to drive you crazy for a long, long time. Because that's what we're supposed to do is plant healthy churches and communities so people know who Jesus Christ is. And that's one of the doors got opened And you helped us walk through it. The second thing we decided to do, and you might have noticed a skeleton out there on the pad, uh, we decided to build uh, an additional youth center for the number of middle school and junior high kids that attend this congregation that you all bring, your children. Your investment in our church is in those kids. 
And so we decided to put up a facility, and that's going to be enclosed here in the next few weeks, be winterized, and they'll begin to do construction, and, and, or the inside of it, rather. And we're hoping to be able to be finished with that sometime uh, early summer to be ready for the fall. And you helped us do that. Many of you said, yeah, I want that youth building to go up. We thank you for that. That's out there because of your sacrifices. Then we decided the third thing we want to do was to have more of an international engagement. We, I think we do really well in our community with people like Maggie Shade and Community Impact in our school systems. And we do really good things nationally with Christ in Youth, Ozark Christian College, and many other groups that are dealing with the national. But we want to do something with international impact. And so we got really excited about the opportunity to go through that door and experience that. And we'll show you a picture of a building that you've helped put up. It's in Haiti. With Haiti Christian Mission, this building is a youth center. We decided if we were going to build ourselves a youth center, we wanted to help someone else have a youth center. And you've helped that building go up. It will be finished sometime in the middle of this month, and they'll have a ribbon-cutting ceremony, and we're going to get to see pictures of that. Uh, We have several of our people that are going next weekend on a missions trip, medical missions trip, that will be taking more pictures. But you helped provide that for for kids who don't get to go to school to have a place that they can go learn to read and write. For people that do go to school, a place for them to go and learn a trade and, and, and find a way to provide for their families and care. And that was an opportunity. We've also been involved for three years with uh, some, some Indian preachers. There's a picture of the 12 that you've helped commission to go into communities that don't have the New Testament gospel. And these men at the risk of their lives are preaching that because you've helped us financially support them. What's fascinating to me is $3,000 a year provides a preacher to go into a community where there's no preaching. And this is one of the investments internationally that we're excited about. Then we decided to improve our current campus. And here's kind of an artist rendition of what we hope to do out here at Christ Church of Orinago. (laughs) It'll look something like that. Uh, But you might say, when's that going to start? I have no clue. But we're going to get there. Uh, No, truthfully, we've decided to prioritize Hope City and the new building out here, but we're gonna, we have some signage issues. We want people to drive on our campus and know what's the main entrance for worship, main entrance for children. We're going to take care of all of that. But you helped us do some things that are really important already. We have security cameras in all of our children's area. I'm so happy about that. I want to make sure our kids are safe, and I want to make sure that the teachers that are teaching them are safe and protected from accusation or any incrimination. You helped us do that already. Uh, We're trying to to make this building as useful, and uh, that's part of our plan. Uh, We want to bring on some additional staff. Uh, As we've grown, there's opportunities for more discipleship and pastoral care needs, and you'll see pictures of five people that you've helped bring on to our staff. Now, they're all down at Hope City, but we count them as our brothers and sisters, and you've helped make that staff happen so that church can continue to grow. Then the last thing is we want to uh, eliminate our debt, and uh, our debt is manageable, I just want to be honest with you. Uh, We pay more than we need to every month. We're on top of that, and the Lord's providing. But I really am looking forward to the day when we don't have debt so that we can spend every gift that you give us on the future, not on the past. And so that's our goal, is to become really good stewards of what you've done. Those six doors of opportunities we presented a year ago and asked the people of our church to participate with us in sacrificing that these things can happen. And you have been incredibly generous. And there's one more year in the promises that were made. And we're going to be giving you more information, especially those of you that count Christ Church your home who weren't with us here last fall. You can have an opportunity to join us in sacrificing so these things can happen. If you don't know about the return, if you go out in the foyer, there's some 
materials out there that explain why we're doing what we're doing and what we're hoping to see happen because of it. But isn't it good to celebrate what God's already done just one year into this? Just amazing things. And we're grateful to God for that. So what do I want from you? I'm glad you asked. First thing is this. I'd like you to pray. I would ask you for the next month to simply ask God to show you the doors in front of you that you can help open. Just make that prayer and see what God does. Second thing I want to do is probably more awkward than that for most of you. I would ask you, could you commit to being here for the next four Sundays? Do you make it a priority to, to rearrange the opportunities of a Sunday morning so that you can be here with us, that you might know about where we're headed and be involved in this return on the return? And we hope that that will be a possibility because we believe God's going to move like he did last fall in a bigger way so we can plan to open these doors and keep them open for a long, long time. And I don't mean the doors of this church. I mean the doors of opportunity that God's bringing to us every day. So what I want to do this morning is I want to talk to you about what Jesus did and what he said to his disciples about the opportunities that were going to be in front of them. It's found in Matthew chapter 6. It's a passage that talks about how are your investments doing. And I don't mean your portfolio, your 401k, or any other fancy uh, financial aspect of your life. I mean, how is the investment in the kingdom doing? Jesus posed this question, or this statement to his people. He said in verse 19 of Matthew chapter 6, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Let's pause there. Uh Uh-oh, right? Oh, he's going to talk about money. No, 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 no. I want you to understand the word translated money in some translations is really an awkward, inappropriate translation. Translate it treasures or riches. Uh, Because this is not about your money. This is about your soul. Because if you don't have your soul, what good are your treasures? And your treasures reveal your soul. So I I just feel like I need to say this. If you're sitting here going, no, he's after my wallet. No, I want much more than that. I want you to be so surrendered to Jesus that it never becomes my money. It's his his giftedness to me. It's his gifting, his precious treasures he's allowed me to hold in this tour of my life. And so we're going to be talking today about how your, your investments are doing. Because here's the first principle of the Bible. This isn't even debatable, and I don't say that so that you'll think I'm right, but biblically, there's no scholarship that would contest this. We all have treasures. We all treasure something. Every one of us has things deep down inside that we hold on to, and nothing degrades a person any more than to take their treasures from them or threaten their treasures. If you study history, when the Nazis were taking the Jews into Birkenau or Auschwitz, When they were taking them in, they would take their possessions, their luggage. They would make this false promise that they would give it back to them, but they would take that from them. They they found out in any torture, to take something precious from somebody begins to break their soul. 
So it's threatening to us when we talk about treasures. That's why people don't want to come to church when they hear that the preacher is going to talk about stewardship because that's none of his business. But we all treasure things. And one of the best reflections of your soul is to find out what you're treasuring and how valuable that treasure truly is. So I'd like to do a little game for us today. On the count of three, I want all of us to shout out loud how much money we make gross. Okay, ready? One, no? You wouldn't do that. Okay, let's try something different. What's the most valuable, liquidatable asset you have and where do you keep it? On three, ready? One, you're not gonna do it. You won't answer me questions about Jesus. I know you're not gonna answer this one. What, is that, what do those two questions do for every one of us? Makes us uncomfortable, makes us nervous, and most of, me, most of you would look at me like I would look at me and go, not a chance. Why? Because my treasures are not up to the exposure of everybody else. My treasures reveal something about me. You see, I, I've been told, and I think this is true in study of, of relationships, that a demonstration of intimacy between two people is how much mutual knowledge they have of one another's treasures. So in other words, one of the best tests of friendship is, what's your garage code? Because you know who you trust, because they have the code to your garage. When you're out of town, they can go and let themselves in your house and, and turn off the lights or put the dog out or leave the cat out forever, whatever you need to do, you, you would have friends do that. I'm going to get a note, doggone it. I just can't, sometimes I can't help myself. Um, so where your treasures are, your garage door code, who can pick your kids up after school, those are all signs of trust. So we know what we treasure. And here's the good news. What you treasure isn't up for debate with anybody else. You don't have to value the candy dish in my office. It's valuable whether you see it or not. Our treasures are important to us. They reveal who we are. But today our discussion no longer is the fact that we have treasures. Our discussion is really to discuss our treasuring. What we will do with those treasures and why they hold the place in us that they hold. So, let's ask the question, how are your investments doing? Jesus is telling us that there is a, way, a means for limited and long-term success. First, there's a clear way to have limited success. In other words, your treasures can produce moments of happiness, some sense of stability, and pleasure. Verse 19, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. He says, be careful that what you're treasuring isn't limited to this lifetime. See, social scientists have done this research, and I, I think it's amazing, that one of the key factors to study human behavior, to find out when a person is maturing, is how they deal with deferring gratification. Okay? So what scientists say, that you are growing up and becoming a more mature, well-rounded human being when you can say no to yourself more than you say yes to yourself. When you can say, I don't need that. I want it, I don't have to have it. It'd be better if I didn't have it. That's a sign of maturity. We measure our children that way. It's nice to have a pantry now that you don't have to have children locks on. That you can have a box of cookies that can last more than four hours. Because your kids go in and, I mean, my, my, both of my boys have the ability to do something I've never been able to do, not clean their plates. Braden will look at me with half a Chick-fil-A sandwich gone and a half remaining. He'll look at me and go, 
I don't want any more. What's wrong with you? And I just thank God I'm his dad because I have total legal rights to finish it. After my two sandwiches, I'm so sad. But the ability to defer gratification is a beautiful thing. It's a sign of strength. And Jesus is asking that from us. When he says, make sure that your treasures aren't limited to this earth, but they have a greater extension beyond this lifetime. And then there's a clear way to have lasting success. He said, instead, notice the comparison, a right and a wrong, store up treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy them and thieves cannot break in and steal them. The alternative is to invest your life and the treasures that God's given you. One of the greatest commands ever given in the New Testament, according to Jesus, was love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, body, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Take the love of God and turn it into how you treat other people with all that God's given you. And the greatest investment is to store in things that God can make useful, not just what this world can make useful. And again, I want to say this to clear your conscience. I'm not talking about what you're sitting on in your wallet or what's next to you in your purse. I'm talking about the greatest gift you have, your soul. Because if we're going to invest in heaven, the first thing you need to invest in is your character. And this may seem like a strange teaching, but I I want to point it out in reference to our message last week about death, dying, and the resurrection. If I am going to die and my physical body is going to decay and my physical body will fail me and my soul will live forever, I need you to understand. I I know that you do, but I need to remind you and awaken each one of us that that soul, the character of what I'm spending my life shaping my soul to be more like Jesus and to open myself up to the things of Jesus, that is going with me. I'm not getting a mulligan with a brand new soul in heaven. That soul is going to inhabit an eternal body in this heaven. So when you think, and the world tells us this, it's another corrective lens we need to put on, that the world says, as long as you're saved, that's what the church and the kingdom's about. You've misunderstood. The kingdom is about being saved into a greater life where your soul is being shaped by investment in your character and the characters of those around you. It's the only way I can equate it, because I have shallow references to the things I'm interested in. Here's what it is. If you think coming to church is about being saved, and being a Christian is about being a saved, that's like going to every practice and never showing up for the game. It is a waste of time. Jesus didn't call us to become perfect, to put us in a museum in a glass case. He called us to begin to live out these soul-shaping moments of trust, to invest in our character and who we are, Hebrews chapter 13. Let your character be free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I forsake you, so that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What shall man do to me? The Bible has taught us, be free from the the things of this world that don't shape our soul, but instead keep our souls from being shaped. You see, are we merciful people? Are we kind? Are we generous? Are we good? Not just so we can justify our existence, but are we those things because it matters? Does the purpose of every man, does the value of every individual, does the truth revealed in Jesus Christ and all the other things we've talked about for two months in the Corrective Lens series, do those things transfer from the information stage to the testable stage? Jesus said, invest in things that matter. Secondly, invest in eternal relationships. Relationships are the reason we're here. 
It's not about possessions. It's not about power or progress or reputation. It's not about any of those things. It's about people. Listen to Deuteronomy 32.9. The Lord's portion is his people. What does God want out of all of this? Does he want big buildings and large offerings? Does he want big praise concerts? Does he want branded church names and images and t-shirts and bumper stickers? Absolutely not. He wants people. And the reason we're doing this is so people will know Jesus and grow with Jesus and invite others to know Jesus and grow with Jesus. Amen, church? No matter what you're hearing in the world, we must be a church that's about people and not about programming or branding. You see, in Galatians 6, Paul says, the one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for when the time is right, we shall reap if we don't quit. Therefore, we have opportunities. Let us do good to all men, and most of all to the family of faith. We are here for people that are not here. We are here for the community that finds no value in what we're trying to do. We're here to sacrifice and open doors, to invite people to walk with us through those doors, to do things like Hope City, to to create a place where junior high and middle school students can come and in their own context learn in community about who Jesus Christ is. I'm, I'm not pitching this. We're going to do it. Why? Because we've been called to. And we're inviting people to join us in this journey. Because when we invest in our own character and in the eternal salvation of other people for their own discipleship, And we're fulfilling our calling. And then the last thing I want to say this morning. The soul is the place where your treasure pays off. There is a test coming. The test is not just do you know the information. The test is not can you pass on to the next grade. I had students that used to come to me and they'd be all frantic. And I hear you're a tough professor. I'm not a tough professor. I just expect you to earn the same degree I did. And they would say to me things like, I, I've, you know, I've never not gotten a four point. Uh, if you want a four point, I'll give you a four point. I just want you to learn, grow, experience. Don't get so caught up in your grade that you don't enjoy the journey of education because some of the best lessons I learned came with a paper that said 69%. Because then I realized I didn't know what I was talking about. And I better figure it out. Is anybody else in the room with me on that? Church isn't about perfection. Church is about experiencing the grace of God and trusting his wisdom. Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The ownership of our hearts is being contested. Don't deny that, please. If you take anything out this morning, I want you to take this. There's a battle for your soul that's not being dramatic, it's being biblical. That the reason we did corrective lenses is you're hearing things and you're seeing things and it's all over movies and television programs and music today and I'm getting older because I turn on the music and go, that's not music and I turn it off. I've become my father. (laughs) But when I listen to the messages that's going into my 10-year-old's ears, I cringe because now his know-nothing dad has to look at him and say, oh, that's a lie. There's a battle for this. It's being contested. We must make a choice to value the things, to focus that as what is good and pure and right and noble and just, to remind ourselves that the messages we're hearing matter. In verse 22, it says, The eye is the lamp of the body, and if your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Do you know what those verses are saying, church? Put on corrective lenses. 
Listen to what the word of God says and trust it. It will reveal truth to you and free you. If you don't, you will fill your mind and your soul and your soul will be shaped by your mind. So we must defend and fight for what is true and good because there is nothing about God's word that is punitive. There's nothing about God's word that eliminates people, that shows prejudice. There's nothing about God's word that isn't good for everybody. And our eyes open our souls to its shape. Last thing is the ownership of our hearts must be demonstrated. This is when we must live it out. You can't have a spiritual compartment on Sunday Go back to being you Monday, Tuesday. Come out here on Wednesday with your family. Live Thursday, Friday, and Saturday all for yourself. I'm not trying to produce shame. I'm just being honest with you. It's like a doctor looking at you and saying, if you continue to put that in your body with the regularity you do, you will kill yourself. And I'm here to tell you, if you try to live one part of your life for God and the rest of it for yourself, Jesus gave us words. And the words were this. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Imagine you and I went to Chick-fil-A. That would be awesome. And we sat down and got our meal with all the sauces we wanted, and we were having a conversation. And I asked you this question. Do you believe when Jesus says, you cannot serve two masters, that he knows what he's talking about? Because most of my life, I have lived it as if he didn't. I've decided, no, the mark on the sidelines is just different than the mark on the stage. What I do with my money after I give God his peace, what I do with the rest of my money is mine. Uh, The way I speak on the stage, if it's different than I speak at home. See, I've often contested Jesus by saying, no, no, I can live my life better than most people and better than I used to be, and that... That, by definition, means I'm a Christian. And then I read my Bible, and Jesus said, no, no, you must understand this. The moment you try to divide your loyalties, you will choose love and hate. You can't love both. So the question I have for us this morning, and maybe you'll want to talk about it back at the prayer place. You might want to meet one of us and have a conversation or or set up an appointment. Maybe some of you are at that moment where you have to declare this, but here's my question to you. When Jesus says you cannot have two masters in your life, is he right? Because if he is, this is about what we do, this is about what we think, and this is about what we become. All his, all the time. Let's stand together.